This podcast is sponsored by Bethany House Publishers. Order Carved in Ebony through Baker Bookhouse and save 30% off plus free shipping. Visit bakerbookhouse.com to purchase. Welcome to episode nine of the Carved in Ebony podcast, where we share bite-sized lessons about the women of Carved in Ebony. I am Jasmine Holmes, the author of Carved in Ebony, and I am here with the future, the impending, so close, so close, Dr. Soon, 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 Abina Ansa Wright, who always has the right answers. (laughs) It's going to be my hashtag. (laughs) I'm here for it, obviously. We are on woman number nine, and next week is Mm -hmm. woman number ten, and then we're done. I'm sad. I know it is sad, but you know, you know how they can keep the good times rolling, Abina. I don't know how could they possibly do that, Jasmine. They could purchase the book, perchance. <gasps> That's such a great idea. They could also <laughs> follow either of us on Instagram because Absolutely. we talk about these ladies and women like them all yep. the time. All the time. All the time. Today's woman is somebody else. You know, it's often the women who I was like least excited about. Mm-hmm. who are just at the most exciting cross-section, just like the juiciest cross-section of history. And yes. that is the case with Lucy Craft. I was like, ah, you know. but so glad. So glad. Lucy Craft Whitney was the daughter of an enslaved woman and a man who had purchased his freedom. They had so many children together. <laughs> <He's> a pastor. <laughs> um, her mom was just a teenager when they got married. And Lucy mm-hmm. kind of grew up learning to read and kind of getting a thirst for knowledge in the library of her mother's former enslavers who employed her mother after the mm-hmm. Civil War. And just so we've already common. kind of, I know. So we've already kind of said in Sarah G. Stanley's episode, We've already spoken about the American Missionary Association and how they set up so many schools along with the Freedmen's Bureau down south after the Civil War. And Lucy was educated at one of these schools and, you know, was immediately kind of marked as like somebody to watch, somebody Mm -hmm. to equip, somebody who was going to be serving for the rest of her life. And they were right. Lucy ended up founding her own school, the Haynes Normal and Industrial Institute for Colored Youth. And she devoted her entire life to that school. At the end of her life, she was, like, living on campus. Like, Mm -hmm. she never got married. She never had, you know, she never birthed children. She was completely devoted to the Haynes Institute and completely devoted to the education of these these students, many of Mm -hmm. whom would go on to move north during the Great Migration and take part in the Harlem Renaissance, which is, like, so cool. Yep. 500 people came to Lucy's funeral. Wow. Five. Hundred, and they said that it was more. Or actually, was it five hundred or five thousand? I was gonna say I thought it was in the thousands. It's five thousand. It's. Mm-hmm. I said five hundred. It's five thousand, and they said yep. it was more like a. They said it was more like a coronation than a funeral. Yeah. She touched so many lives. Um, one of my favorite stories about Lucy is that so Sadie Iola Daniel wrote mm-hmm. a biography about several of these women, uh, including. Lucy and actually Nanny as well. She wrote it in the 30s when a lot of when a lot of them were still alive. And she interviewed Lucy, and Lucy was like, "Hey, I'm really interested in this interview, but I gotta go because my one of my kids needs help with her dollhouse, so I gotta go yeah. help her. <laughs> I'm gonna come back. I just I just love that that's that she amazing. was just like 
I know that you're honoring me in, in this book and like you're writing about me is one of the most to use the word that most describes it being a illustrious woman <laughs> in education but I gotta go because this little yeah. girl needs me and I love that I love that that's about incredible her. also you just you get the impression that Lucy was just like a quiet demure person but when it mm-hmm. came to raising money for her school homegirl was gonna speak out yeah, she was going to speak out. She went to the Presbyterian General Assembly up north, petitioned for money for her school because it quickly grew from the 50s to the hundreds to the several mm-hmm. hundreds. And mm-hmm. um, she didn't end up getting money from the Presbyterian Church like as a whole. But one of the women who was in attendance at General Assembly, Mrs. F.E.H. Haynes, super, super impressed with Lucy and decided to fund her school, which is why the school is called Haynes Normal and Industrial Institute. Oh, this makes um, sense. And my one... Like one of my forays into being a real life historian was my, my first experience of transcription, which was mm. I found on eBay again. You know, I just like to poke around eBay. You know, I just <laughs> I've never thought about looking on eBay for historical. So you know something I don't. Okay, so literally, mm-hmm. let me calm myself down because oh my gosh, <laughs> I just got so giddy, and that is not even like, trying to be professional <laughs> right now. Mrs. F.E.H. Haynes was, there's not a lot of information that you can find about her, but she was this Presbyterian woman who was very devoted to ministry, very devoted to missionary work. And she wrote basically a devotional. It was on eBay. The original oh, manuscript wow. was on eBay for like $40. That's crazy. And so the Edmiston um, Center bought it and mm-hmm. I transcribed it nice yeah for all the future historians who go there to look at it thank you for transcribing it for us there's one word there's one word in there that i i I was like "Mm, bill couldn't i don't know what that is but i might send it to you one is impressive only one word is impressive her handwriting is pretty good i gotta say like i was like okay this is some this is this is some good script i appreciate you the good script and some good um paper I'm going to get Those to heaven and together? be like, hey, Mrs. And look, I got was, was transcribing from the photocopy, not wow. from the original. So I'm going to get to heaven and be like, Mrs. F.E.A. Chains. First of all, what is your name? Because I want to know. Those are your <laughs> initials. And I, what's your name? And secondly, thank you for your handwriting. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, thank you for your contribution to Haynes Normal and Industrial Institute. Yeah. That's so amazing. The only thing I really wanted to add in terms of context is... What Lucy Craft Laney is doing is kind of happening as Jim Crow is ascending in the South. So we have Reconstruction era just after the Civil War, which not many I'm gonna I'm gonna focus specifically on Georgia because Reconstruction is a state-to-state thing. It looks different in different places. But <clears throat> Georgia is one of the places that ha- actually had 33 black legislators in 1868. This is this little pocket of time that people don't really know about. People mostly think of Reconstruction as a failure. It was something that didn't work. And more and more, I think it was first W.E.B. Du Bois who challenged that notion. And more and more over time, historians have seen how that's kind of been another version of the lost cause to say that Reconstruction was entirely a failure. Reconstruction was intentionally ended by pro-Confederate, pro-Southern, white men and women who wanted to see the end of 
black legislators. So what happens is there are 33 in 1868 in the immediate aftermath of the war, while federal troops were there kind of overseeing the transition of the South from a slave regime to a free labor system with black citizens. These legislators helped write new state constitution, the new state constitution, which guaranteed voting rights for former slaves and restored Georgia to the union. But only two months after the 14th Amendment, which granted citizenship to all born on U.S. soil and equal protection before the law, white legislators that were these men's peers introduced a bill to expel Black legislators because they argued that the Constitution protected the right to vote and not to hold office. So it protected the right of formerly enslaved people to vote. They're totally fine with that kind of. And they argue that the constitution does not make any provisions for black people to hold office. These 33 legislators weren't even allowed to participate in the vote about this bill to oust them. It goes through. 33 black legislators are no more. They're completely ousted from Georgia's um, government. And this is the end of reconstruction in Georgia in 1868. Historians talk about this as being maybe 72, 77, but Georgia in 1868 kind of sets the blueprint for other states to see how they can end Reconstruction. And in its place, we have, you know, the rise of KKK violence, especially around the voting booths. So Black people were kept from the polls. Like I said earlier, they're kind of, you know, they argue that the Constitution protects Black people from protects the vote, protects their ability to vote, but they do depend on KKK violence as well as poll tax, voting fees, and the grandfather clause, which really said that anyone could vote only if they could vote prior to the Civil War. And if they could vote prior to the Civil War, then they don't have to pass the literacy tests. They don't have to pay the poll. They don't have to pay the taxes. They can vote. So obviously, prior to the Civil War, it was predominantly wealthy white men and white men on the whole. And so they come up with all of these creative ways to keep Black people out of polling booths. And I think that's really important to understand, you know, the context that Lucy Craft Laney is working in. There was a Democratic senator called Benjamin Hill who famously said the Southern whites will never consent to the government governance of the Negro. Just kind of a, a striking quote that really gives us a flavor of what was happening in Georgia, what popular opinion was in Georgia at the time. And this is the context that Lucy Craft Laney is opening this school in. Education is a key part of uplift. Everybody knew that and people had a problem with that. And so kind of, you know, like Mariah Fearing in a completely different context on the other side of the world in the Congo, Lucy Craft Laney is in the South where racial violence is intensifying, the lines are hardening and segregation. And she is out here trying to create spaces for education for Black children. That's huge. Yeah. Huge. I love it. In the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, just kind of different perspectives on education. Yes. The Du Bois perspective and the Washington perspective and, yeah. and with the understanding, of course, that we are vastly oversimplifying the two yes. perspectives in we're order gonna to boil talk it about down. different. We're going to boil it down. We're going to 
it's going to be brass tacks and there's way more overlap than we're probably going to definitely, you know, convey just for the sake of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But Lainey and Burroughs were both really good at combining trade education mm-hmm. with um, liberal arts education. And so people that left their schools would be able to go on and be teachers, lawyers, yep. doctors, or they could go on and work confidently in domestic work and achieve really amazing opportunities in the trade sphere as well. Both Laney and Burroughs, even to a greater degree, believed that it was important to equip their students um, to go into whatever field mm-hmm. after education, which the boys kind of focused more on the liberal arts sphere, Washington more on the trade sphere, and both of these women. I love that the two men were just like going back and forth and like, I don't know, we gotta figure out. And then women were like, we're gonna do all of them. We're gonna do all of it. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. But uh, yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry, I got really excited. But that's part of what's excellent about Lainey is just yeah. that she, this big debate's happening and she's like, yeah, okay, y'all can talk about it. You guys can have conversation, but I'm going to be doing stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yep. And I feel like not to say that Washington went to Ski Institute, obviously, but you know what I'm of saying. Course. Like of course, the, of the wedding of the two perspectives is what's amazing about both of these women. But we'll talk 100%. more about it in, in the, the next episode. one. Our last okay. one. <sighs> it's so sad. So sad. We'll have to do other, host other types of conversations because there's so much to talk about. Yes, but we need more yet because we still have one more episode. One more. Go back and listen to previous episodes, buy the book, get excited, spread this Mm -hmm. conversation around. We want people to be as excited about these women as we are. Yep. All right, y'all. See you next time. Bye. Bye.